Hello and welcome back into a new edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, and I got a lot of things that I want to talk about today. First of all, the Nuggets are, are have just come off a loss, 109-106. to 106. You're going to be hearing this podcast a couple days late due to some technological difficulties that I am currently ironing out and should no longer be an issue anymore, but I have not been able to at least release my thoughts from this game, so I'm going to quickly give just a three-minute recap of my thoughts of what happened in this game. After that, we're going to take our first break, and then I want to get into the four most pressing issues um, that the Nuggets have after four preseason games. I think that there are four very important things on and off the court that have to do with the Nuggets that haven't really been spoken about enough with enough of a sample size to really have a good idea of what is happening. Now that four games have come and gone, it's easier to develop some thought processes as to what is going on with this Denver Nuggets team. So I'm going to talk about the offensive issues that they have been having as a team. I also want to talk about um, what the hell is going on with Nikola Jokic. It really seems like Nikola Jokic has not been the best version of himself yet. He's really only played three quarters of Nikola Jokic level basketball and I want to get into just why maybe he hasn't been that been that guy and how per- impactful he has been able to be despite the fact that he has not been at his best. I want to of course talk about Michael Porter Jr. because everybody on earth seems to be so confused as to why he's not playing and listen this that's not a crazy thing to feel I'm actually in agreement it is weird that he's not playing but I think there are some reasons why and I kind of want to re-outline those thoughts with now a more sample size and a better understanding of where the Nuggets are at. Then, the last issue that I wanted to talk about is the fact that the Nuggets are still not on TV in Denver for the majority of the Colorado residents in the area. Um, I do think this is going to have some massive repercussions in the long term for this Denver Nuggets team that's doing everything they can to build their popularity up in the eyes of their very young city that is growing seemingly by the day. And And the fact that they are not on TV is not only alienating the potential new fans, but is also destroying the love of the game for the fans that they already have. So I really want to get into those things. And then lastly, I will answer five questions from listeners as well to be able to just try and... um, I really just like taking questions from listeners because I think Nuggets fans provide a different outlook on this team than I do. So being able to answer fans' questions allows me to venture into new potential opportunities for conversations that I would not have had otherwise. So it's going to be a fun show. There's a lot to talk about in this one. But before I go any further, I need to give some love to the Regulators Production Group. Without them, this podcast would sound much more mediocre than it actually is. Well, it is mediocre, but they make it sound better than it actually is. Uh, They do the beats for the intro and outro of this podcast. All the transition music is them. Reach out to them at Regulators Regime on Instagram. They do great work for all audio production needs, and they will help you out. Their rates are fantastic, and they have put together some phenomenal stuff for me, and they have absolutely been willing to do whatever it takes to work together to build something great. So if you're looking for any audio production needs, make sure to go reach out to the Regulators Production Group at Regulators Regime on Instagram. Let's quickly talk about this Denver Nuggets versus Dallas Mavericks game. The Nuggets, of course, are no longer undefeated. They lost 109-106 at the Pepsi Center. Um, This was a surprise. I don't want to say it's a a surprising loss. It's a surprising loss on paper. Uh, Adam Mates of DNVR and I came into the game early. We were both there early, and we we kind of looked at each other like, this is the game the Nuggets are going to lose, isn't it? And it just kind of felt that way from the get. 
the Nuggets have not played well through four games, and it was eventually going to nip them in the ass, and it finally did against this Mavericks team. Still, there were some interesting takeaways. Uh, one, the Nuggets offense seemingly got a little bit more into a groove than they have been, which is a very low bar. The Nuggets offense has been as discombobulated as it gets, which I will get into extensively in the next um, segment of the show, but... At least in this game, they weren't as atrocious, shot 47% from the field, shot 34% from three, only had 10 turnovers. Overall, wasn't that bad. The Nuggets were improved offensively in this game. Still, the most improved player in this game, the player who had separated himself more so than anybody else, in my opinion, was Will Barton. Will Barton looked like vintage thrill in this game. He had some just absolutely absurd finishes at the rim. He was able to hit a buzzer beater at the end of the first quarter to be able to help the Nuggets get three more points on the um just on their tally he was creating a shot when he needed to moving the ball when he needed to was a pretty efficient scorer was eight of 16 from the field hit two of his three threes only had two turnovers in the game and was a plus 15 he finished with 19 points and this is the big part 11 rebounds he's finding other ways to impact the game and once again his defensive effort and impact it's not just that he's working hard defensively he is making a positive impact on this Denver Nuggets defense every time he is on the floor and that happened again in this game on top of that he played the most minutes of anybody in this game he played almost 37 minutes so not only is he re-earning the trust of Michael Malone but he's also playing better defense he's showing he can be an efficient scorer he's showing that he can go get his own shot when the Nuggets offense breaks down and he's adding new wrinkles like this ability to be an offensive rebounder he had four offensive rebounds in that game so I thought Will Barton was spectacular once again I think he's getting closer and closer to being his vintage self and I think that if he can get back to his vintage self while still keeping this improvement as a rebounder and improvement as a defender I don't know if there's going to be anybody who's going to be able to upseat him as the starting small forward and again that's if he can sustain all of that which is going to be tough to do the other player that stood out was Paul Millsap, who had 23 points and 8 rebounds in this game on 9 of 17 shooting. He hit 4 of his 7 threes, did not have a turnover, was his typical defensive demon self, and was really only one of, the, one of the only good defenders on this Nuggets team outside of Will Barton and Gary Harris, so the rest of the team really did not defend that well, particularly the bench unit, which we will get to in a second. But overall, it was good to see Paul Millsap play well. Uh, Nikola Jokic looked like he was walking through sand while playing, but yet still had 10 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists, and 3 steals on 50% shooting from the field. So, hard to find fault. I didn't think he was very good, but he had the second triple-double in the first four games of the season. So... I do think, well, again, I will talk about Nikola Jokic more later in this podcast as well, because I think it's extremely notable the way, what his demeanor has been like in this so far, and the way that Michael Malone has spoken, uh, you know, abstractly about him. So we'll talk about Nikola Jokic a little bit more later. Gary Harris also had a bounce back game. He had a very good first half. Um, he ended up finishing with 16 points, five rebounds, and four four assists. Gary Harris and Nikola Jokic accounted for 14 of the 16 assists from the starters. So I thought Gary Harris's play with the ball in his hands was very good. I thought he did a good job of getting off of the ball in this game. He was 4 of 10 from 3. He only had 2 turnovers and once again was awesome defensively.
defensively. Luka Doncic had 12 points on 3 of 12 shooting and was 1 of 6 from the 3-point line and committed 4 turnovers, which was a team high for the Mavericks who only had 8. So again, Gary Harris was phenomenal. I'm kind of already going too long, so what I'm going to say now is just, wow, this bench unit was atrocious in this game. The defense was not there. The comfort level together and the ability to create shots for each other was not there. I, in my opinion, the Nuggets need to find a way to fix this bench unit in terms of the way that they are constructed. Michael Malone was doing almost hockey shifts where he was putting four guys in at a time. And I think that the Nuggets need to find a way to mesh this starting unit and bench unit more to get the most out of both units. I think Jeremy Grant needs to play more with the starters. I think Will Barton and Jamal Murray need to play more with the bench. I think there needs to be less Mason Plumley and more Jeremy Grant at the five. I think that the Nuggets could find a way to get Michael Porter Jr. involved more, which as well I will talk about later in the show. So the Nuggets bench overall was very, very bad. Every single player on the bench was at least a minus 13 in this game. Every single starter was at least a plus 11. So that's very clear where the issue was for the Nuggets. That's really the biggest takeaway that I had. Um, But that's really all I have about that game. The Nuggets did not play well at home, and it finally caught up to them because they have not played well for the majority of the season. So that's really all it comes down to. I'm going to get into a whole lot more stuff on the other side of the break. But first, let me quickly give you an ad read and pay some bills. Neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I know I have a beard so this sounds weird, but I do love Harry's. I need to line up everything and Harry's blades are sharp enough and they have the versatility to be able to give me what I need. It gives me a close shave, an easy glide, and it's all at a low price. So do me a favor and check out harrys.com slash bluewire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the essential, quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. Harry's is also super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on schedule with or without a subscription, and there's no risk to you trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. So listeners of my show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire and start shaving better today. What 
troublesome issues are existing for this Denver Nuggets team on and off the floor, I think the biggest worry right now has to be the offense. I don't know what the hell is going on with this Denver Nuggets team, but they don't look anything like the offensive juggernaut that they have been in years past. They look entirely discombobulated. No one's on the same page. Nikola Jokic has not been assertive. Jamal Murray is not taking great shots. He has improved as a passer. I don't want to. I've been killing Jamal Murray this year, but he has improved as a passer. He has improved as a defender, but it's his shot selection and his inconsistencies are very clearly still gigantic issues for the Nuggets to overcome. But when you start looking at the offense as a whole, especially statistically, there are some very clear troublesome spots. First of all, the Nuggets are 21st in points per game, which isn't great, 105.8. They're 25th in field goal percentage at 41.2%. There are some reasons for that, and I think a big part of it is the fact that they just can't finish at the rim right now. They are 29th in points in the paint per game right now at 41. They were 4th last year at 52.1. They're 25th in paint touch they're last in points per paint touch. They're 29th on on shot percentage on shots less than 5 feet. They're 21st in passes per game. That one blew my mind. The Nuggets were 5th in the league last year in, in total passes per game, and they were always sharing the ball. For them to fall from 5th to 21st, is that is a very clear indicator that the Nuggets are not moving the ball like they have originally done. It's almost surprising when they have a a possession where the ball has more than four or five passes at that point. And that used to be the staple. That used to be the identity of this Denver Nuggets team. Um, in my opinion, I think a big reason why the passes have gone down are because guys are not trusting each other enough or they're looking for their own shot too much to try to get themselves back into a rhythm. But we'll see if that shakes itself out as things go along. The next big worry I have are the fact that the Nuggets are 21st in assists per game. They were were second last year. They had 29.4 assists per game last year. They're at 22 this year. And this is not just an issue of the Nuggets just missing the open shots that they have been allowed. When you look at it in this way, the Nuggets are 29th in a potential assist. That means they are not creating the same level of opportunity for each other that they have in years past. So when all of a sudden they can't score in the paint, they can't score at the rim, they're not creating for each other, and you're not able to score efficiently at any point from anywhere on the court, that is going to immediately cripple an offensive unit. Then, when you add in the fact that the Nuggets can't create easy points in transition or off turnovers either, you get into an even worse spot. The Nuggets are 29th in fast break points per game at 8.5. They were 15th last year at 12.6. They're 25th in points off turnovers in the NBA. So many things that you can point to that the Nuggets are not creating easy shots anymore. They're They're not efficient on the shots that used to be efficient at. They're not moving the ball like they used to, and they're not creating the scoring opportunities for each other on a consistent level. This Nuggets offense, I don't know what has happened, but they are as discombobulated and out of it as I can remember. They do not know what is going on and no one has been able to get them back on track. And that is the and most of that blame falls on Nikola Jokic, who I'm going to talk about next.
It's funny. At first glance, Nikola Jokic's numbers are actually very good. 15.5 points per game, 12.5 rebounds, which is a career best, 6.5 assists, and 1.5 steals per game, which is also a career best. Even his advanced numbers are great. He's 107.5 offensive rating, which isn't phenomenal, but a 97.6 defensive rating, which would be a career best, which has led to a plus 9.9 net rating when on the floor, which is also a career best if it was to hold throughout the year. Even with all those numbers being said, he has been he has been at his worst in terms of efficiency as a scorer. He is shooting a career worst 43.6% from the field and a career worst 23.1% from 3. And I think that the biggest takeaway is not that he's missing shots. Nikola Jokic does not look like he is having fun playing basketball. And that's the biggest issue when it comes to Nikola Jokic individually. I have always had this theory that I've talked about before on this podcast if you've listened if you've listened to it throughout the years, but Nikola Jokic is at his best when he is just having fun, when he is loose and he's not thinking. He's a bird. He just instinctually does and when he's happy, he instinctually does fun things which makes the rest of his team more, you know, comfortable with him and more apt to cut and to play unselfishly but when Nikola Jokic is this frustrated and this out of sync it's making it extremely difficult for Nikola Jokic to take control of this offense because he's not enjoying playing in it Um, so he has not been assertive enough he has not played with any joy in his game he seems to be a step slow I don't know if that's an urgency thing he might just not have a whole lot of care about this part of the season which is totally Nikola Jokic is a bird. Again, he kind of just fleetingly does whatever comes into his head. So the start of the regular season when you're tired after playing summer basketball and you're not used to the altitude and your teammates are missing every shot at the rim in existence, it's very easy for Nikola Jokic to get frustrated and he has to work on that. He has to remain even keeled to some degree. Of course, you don't want to take the emotion out of his game. It's so important that Nikola Jokic has a fire in him, but you can't let him swing back and forth like a pendulum from this extreme urgency from the, you know, putting up the second best playoff, you know, or putting up playoff numbers that have only ever been matched by Oscar Robertson to coming into the season where it looks like he could not really care less right now. And it's not to say Nikola Jokic doesn't care. He does care. It's just the, his demeanor on the court has not carried the same urgency or aggression or just joy that he has had in years past, which has made him look a step slower and it has led to his frustration building. The best way I can phrase this, and this is actually stealing something from Matt Moore, um, HP Basketball on Twitter of the Action Network, but Nikola Jokic is an artist. So imagine if you had somebody who was just the most incredible artist you could ever imagine painting just a beautiful masterpiece. Just everything is coming out of his hands is brilliant. And then your friends show up and they're like, oh, I want to help out and just start dumping cans of paint on it. That's what it feels like. Nikola Jokic is orchestrating this brilliant offense. And then... He passes the ball to Gary Harris, who just misses an open an open shot at the rim, or Torrey Craig mishandles the pass, or Jamal Murray misses a wide open three, or Paul Millsap decides to pump fake four times and then go up on a contested look instead of taking the open one that Nikola Jokic had created for him. Then 
when Nikola Jokic sees what the masterpiece can be, and then he watches people making it more difficult to create, he gets frustrated. He has to fix these things. But I also think these are reasons why Nikola Jokic has not been the Nikola Jokic that we all expected him to be. So that's the best way I can exp- I can explain it, but I do think there are reasons for optimism. His usage percentage is barely over 25%, so he can clearly get more touches and be more effective. Like I said before, he's He's posting career-worst shooting per- shooting percentages, which are not sustainable. Nikola Jokic is too gifted of a score and has too much touch to ever shoot below 44% from the field and below 24% from three. And the other thing, like I was saying, when the Nuggets offense gets back into a rhythm, when all of a sudden guys can finish up the rim again, when all of a sudden Gary Harris is dunking on people, whenever, when all of a sudden the Nuggets are playing Jeremy Grant more often with him and Nikola Jokic has a lob threat to throw to, whenever Jamal Murray finally starts hitting threes more consistently, the things are going to click into spots like immediately. That's the big part with this Nuggets team is that the second it clicks, they just go. It's getting to that point. It's trying to find that rhythm, find that comfortability, find that trust with each other that is a difficult thing to get to early in seasons. I have this new theory that I'm building in my head that Nikola Jokic is such a unique player that when guys come in after playing pickup all summer, after playing FIBA ball, playing tons and tons of pick and rolls or whatever it may be, there is an adjustment period to get used to Nikola Jokic, and Nikola Jokic's temperament does not make that adjustment period easier to deal with. So because of that, Jamal Murray struggles to start years. Gary Harris isn't able to finish up the rim well. Nikola Jokic is frustrated, and that's how it was last year, and it's how it's been this year. Then, in my opinion, in my estimation, the Nuggets are going to have a game where it clicks, and they're going to start to slowly pick it back up and you're going to start seeing all of those pieces fall back into place it just isn't there yet and that has led to a lot of frustrations but again there is reasons for optimism Let's move on to Michael Porter Jr., which is what everybody wants to talk about. And this is the third issue I have on my list because he has not played a single minute yet. And this is the thing. I understand why it frustrates people. Michael Porter Jr. was arguably the most gifted high school basketball player of the last decade. He is arguably a top five most productive high school basketball player ever. He was one of the most dominating figures leading into college that the NBA had ever prepared for. It's like Zion, Dwight, Tracy McGrady, LeBron, and that's been a couple other players. And Michael Porter Jr. is on that list in terms of high school viability towards the NBA. Of course, you know, the story has already been written. He gets to he gets to Missouri, is hurt, he can't play, he falls to 14. But now, with the optics that he is a star in waiting, which is what a lot of people are using as the optics for this team, now it's very confusing why he isn't playing. You would think that when you aren't sure who your small forward rotation is, or you had gone through an open competition to find your starting small forward, that maybe Michael Porter Jr., a very gifted small forward, could get minutes. On the other side of the coin is the fact that Michael Porter Jr. has had an ego problem as he has come up through as he's come up through the ranks, and which is understandable, by the way. Michael Porter Jr. has been the most gifted and talented and productive basketball player on every single basketball court he has ever played on ever. How do you not develop an ego at that point? It's entirely understandable that he believes in himself that much because he has done it. So now. 
the Nuggets need him to understand that here, you are not the best player on the floor. Here, you are not going to be handed everything. Here, your ego does not fly. And because of that, Michael Malone has had to challenge him to earn his minutes in other ways. Not just off God-given ability. Not just because he fits a particular role that the Nuggets could use some help in. He needs to practice hard. He needs to prove himself in that setting. He needs to show that he can stay mentally ready despite the fact that he has not played minutes. He needs to show that he is entirely willing to buy into the scheme and the system and the role that the Nuggets want him to play. And these things don't happen after four preseason games. These things don't happen over the first four preseason games and the first four regular season games. These That, that kind of trust takes months to build up. And it might mean that Michael Porter Jr. does not get his first NBA minutes in the, for the next couple weeks. I don't know. That's speculating. But the Nuggets are not going to give him anything. They are going to make him earn every last minute he does, he he wants. And I think that is the right way to go about it. Yes, Torrey Craig has not been great. Yes, um, Will Barton has been up and down despite showing a lot of promise. But still... Will Barton is a better offensive player right now for what the Nuggets need, and Torrey Craig is a better defender right now for what the Nuggets need. And Michael Porter Jr. is not going to be able to overcome those two facts until he proves himself in practice, proves he can be a good team defender, proves he knows how to play off-ball offensively, and proves that he can stay mentally aware and mentally engaged regardless of how many minutes he is playing. That is going to take time, and it's going to be something that the Nuggets are going to continue continually force upon him so while it may frustrate a lot of people including me at times there are times where I'm like why the hell is Michael Porter Jr. not in this game I thought he was going to play against the Mavericks but the Nuggets deserve the benefit of the doubt they have already developed Gary Harris Will Barton Malik Beasley Monte Morris Torrey Craig Jamal Murray Nikola Jokic there are so many players that the Nuggets have taken as projects and made into extremely viable NBA players that nobody expected them to that they deserve the benefit of the doubt in terms of how in terms of what the best process is to make Michael Porter Jr. the best possible player for the Denver Nuggets. They have earned that respect. They have earned the opportunity to have the benefit of the doubt in these circumstances, and I'm going to allow them to have it. The Nuggets are the best developmental team in the league right now, and they have a front office who has been the best front office in terms of acquiring talent throughout other ways that are that is not just free agency signing guys outright. So because of that, I'm going to trust because they deserve that trust and because we're not going to be able to get enough information to get a good picture as to what the actual role is. Everything that I have dove into and pride with is that they need him to earn it. He has to be a guy that earns his minutes. They are not going to remove Torrey Craig, who started 30 games um, from the rotation for Michael Porter Jr., who has not proven it yet. They are not going to take out Will Barton, who was the secret to that creating the, that their best starting five two years ago just because Michael Porter Jr. might become a better offensive player just by getting a few reps. He has to show it first, and I think that's the right way to approach this. Last thing I want to talk about, my fourth issue that I have with the Nuggets right now is nothing to do with the team itself. It's nothing to do with the coaching staff, nothing to do with the front office, nothing to do with the play on the court. It has everything to do with the fact that the fans cannot watch the Nuggets play basketball. This is getting to very, very bad points. The Nuggets... Okay, the Nuggets are four games in, and there seems to be absolutely no resolution in sight. I don't know if people have been paying attention, but they are just as far apart right now as they were a month ago. 
And that means that I am now entirely assuming there will not be Denver Nuggets basketball on Comcast, on Dish Network, on DirecTV. It just isn't going to happen this year. I'm, I'm fully prepared for that just to not be a thing. And now what my interest is, is what is the fallout? If the Nuggets cannot be seen on TV in Colorado this year, how does that impact the Nuggets on the court and off the court from this point going forward? And I think this is really important because the Nuggets have done a good job of helping to cultivate a new diehard fan base that had existed in 2012 and 13, but had been lost throughout the six years of mediocrity and abysmal play uh, of the Brian Shaw era on the very, very start of Michael Malone's tenure in Denver. Now, they're the most fun team in basketball. Nikola Jokic is an MVP candidate. They have Jamal Murray as a young blue chip guy who could become the next star. Gary Harris is a fan favorite. There are so many reasons to enjoy this team, and no one can watch watch them. And this is the thing. That is not a neutral event. The fact that you can't see the Nuggets does not mean that you stay the same level of fan. What has happened, at least from my Twitter mentions, is that people are furious. Nuggets fans are watching these games on illegal streams and being angry that they have to do it. It's killing their experience watching the Nuggets and it's making them angry at the ownership group and altitude as a whole for not being able to get a deal done. It feels like a billionaire fighting with a billionaire, fighting over pennies and nickels just to make a few extra dollars while the fans get the worst end of the stick. And I I think that fans have every single right to feel that way. The other side of this is that I'm not sure what the hell the other options are right now. I don't like it's too far in to try and create a streaming service. You're talking about taking legal rights from the NBA, trying to find different streaming platforms, adapting all of your coverage and all of your ability to create your post and pregame and all of your in-game arena activities built for streaming, which it seems like would be different than doing it on TV. There's a lot that goes into that, despite the fact that you don't know how much money you're going to be losing. Right now, the big three... Uh, in terms of uh, the cable providers, are trying to pay 50 to 70% less than they normally do. Are the Nuggets really going to find any more money than that doing streaming services? I'm very skeptical of that, which is why I do accept their idea that it's going. it's just too unsustainable to do a streaming platform. So... Now I'm curious, they're killing off their old fans, they're not allowing them to build new fans because you can't even watch the team on TV. So that is going to hurt this Nuggets franchise for a long time. This is going to be a stain on them. The one way they can save this is to try and be innovators and go find a new way to provide a high-end broadcast to as many people as possible that do not involve carriers or, or involve an entirely new deal, which I don't have any kind of background in terms of information as to how that could function. So maybe they'll be innovators. I am extremely skeptical that they'll just dump money into what they hope will be functional. But as of right now, this is hurting the Nuggets franchise more than they are willingly, openly talking about it. And that is going to be a big problem. I'm going to take our second break and we'll be back to answer some questions from fans. Holiday season is here, and if you are super sensitive, the rush is coming. 
So you better get ready with ShipStation. With more people buying online than ever before, you have to be able to ship out orders quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all those orders or decide which shipping carrier to use or if you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders and printing labels and getting those products out the door and delivered in time for the holidays. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, on your own website, ShipStation brings all of your orders into one simple interface, making it really easy to manage all of those orders from any device, even just your cell phone. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including the United States Postal Service, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They can even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now, any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal possible. No matter, no wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time and with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of your holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use my offer code BLUE to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top at the top of the page, and type in blue. That's ShipStation.com and enter in the offer code blue. ShipStation. Make ship happen. Let's answer some questions from listeners because I think it's a very important thing to do because I don't always see things like fans do and I think that's a bad thing. I think it's good to get different perspectives of the same game and being able to take questions from fans allows me to open up my scope a little bit more for everybody. So, as I usually do, I put a tweet out asking for Nuggets questions. I answer them on here. I didn't do a good job of putting on Instagram because I suck. I didn't do a good job of all that stuff, so I'm sorry ahead of time. But I will be better about that. Also, I will be better about grabbing the questions out of my DMs as well. I'll do a be- I'll have more of those questions coming out next podcast. Uh, let's dive into this, though. Omar asks, how will sitting on the bench get Michael Porter Jr. ready? With the Nuggets bench struggling so much against Dallas, why didn't he get any run? I think the biggest part of this is that Michael Porter Jr. cannot be relied on to be a savior when the Nuggets are discombobulated. Asking him to come in and just fix things when he hasn't even played regular season NBA basketball is not fair to ask of him. So when you, when it comes to bringing him in because the bench has been bad in the middle of a game to try and save things, maybe he does play well and all of a sudden the Nuggets take a big step forward with their bench because Michael Porter Jr. came in and hit four threes. Maybe. But I would not expect that of him. I would not put him in a position where he has to do those kinds of things. I'm actually curious if Michael Malone has not played Michael Porter Jr. just because of how dysfunctional the Nuggets have been so far. Do you want his first NBA minutes with his Denver Nuggets teammates to be in that kind of dysfunction offensively. So because of that, why not take it slow? Why not allow him to earn those minutes as I talked about earlier? So again, I think that the Nuggets have deserved, have basically, they have earned the right to do things their way. 
they've absolutely earned the right, and that's where I'm leaving it. But overall, I do think Michael Porter Jr. will play at some point. It might not be for a couple weeks even, but he's going to play. Michael Malone said on media day, and he has said at practice that he has to find a way to get him minutes, and he will get him minutes somehow. Moving on, Kyle asks, with the Nuggets 30th in pace, what does pace actually mean, and is it important? I love this question, by the way. Shouts to you, Kyle. I think it's an important one. Michael Malone thinks pace is entirely useless in terms of its correlation to winning, and I actually agree. You can play slow, you can play fast, and you can still win basketball games. There's no right or wrong answer there. So in terms of the you know, statistical definition of pace in terms of how many shots or how many possessions you have in a basketball game on average, that I don't care about, to be honest with you. I think it'd be nice if the Nuggets had some more shots, they got some more shots up. It'd be nice if they were, you know, getting out in transition more, but that's more about a product of their issues offensively, not the fact that they're playing slow. The The Nuggets are not t- turning defense into offense, they're not running off of misses, they're not creating turnovers and getting easy buckets, and that hurts your pace. But that's not a thing is where the Nuggets should be shooting more. They just need to play better defense, and they need to be better in transition to be able to make that pace look better than it actually is. Um, in addition to that, I think, th- okay, this, this is the way that I phrase it. Pace as a number, pace as a term of, I got all these shots up, I don't care, like I said. Pace in terms of how quickly you get into your offensive sets. Pace in terms of how quickly you push the pace in transition to be able to create a mismatch. Pace in terms of how aggressively you post someone up to create that mismatch and how aggressively you go towards the rim to collapse the defense, those are the kinds of pace things that I do think are important. Nikola Jokic loves getting the ball and slowly get into a dribble handoff and slowly backing a guy down in the post when I think he should be more assertive and more urgent in terms of how aggressive he is being. And again, this does not mean shooting more. This does not mean that he is looking for a shot more. This does not mean anything like that. This is not Jokic is all of a sudden a 35% usage player. This is do everything with intent. Play every single possession with a sense of urgency. Get into every set as quickly as you can to give your team the most possible opportunity to get the best possible result in that offensive possession. I do not think the Nuggets have done that, and I think that is an issue. But in terms of how many possessions they have per game, I really couldn't care less. Um, Grant Carey asks, can Will Barton's improved defense help Denver match up with star small forwards, or is he still too small? Will Barton has been a revelation defensively compared to where he was at a year ago and even two years ago. That alone is a very, very important development for the Nuggets. But in terms of defending the Kawhis, the Paul Georges of the world, those style of players, that size of a wing, that elite level jumbo wing who can play at either position, Will Barton's still going to struggle. It is what it is. And that's not fair to and that's not an indictment on Will. It's just like Gary Harris struggles against really big small forwards. The same reason that Torrey Craig gets beat up by some bigger small forwards because he just isn't really big enough. He's 6'6, six, six, he's not 6'6 nine like a lot of these guys are so while he's been better and that and that that impact on the game is extremely important I don't think that there's any better feeling that he can slow down Kawhi Leonard maybe he does that's not to say he can't but you don't go into the game expecting it now that he has been able to do so against you know other players that aren't these elite small forwards uh, Noah asks, do we chalk up Jamal's play to just another bad start, or at what point do we start to get worried? I am worried. I know I'm as low on Murray as anybody. I, I am fully aware that I have been, you know, critical of what he does on the court, but 
I'm worried because his shot selection has not been good. His three-point percentage has not been good. His consistency has not been good. And his finishing around the rim has left a lot to be desired. He has been better defensively. He has been better as a creator. He has been more methodical in understanding of what the defense is giving him. So he has improved in certain ways. He has not improved his shot selection and things like that. So in terms of his slump, in terms of his thing where it's, you know, Jamal Murray is not, you know, he, he's scoring 14 points in a quarter and two in another. That's kind of the issue. And Jamal Murray hasn't changed in that way, and the Nuggets need him to. So I'm worried. I'm there already. Last question. Ish asks, what are your thoughts on figuring out the floor spacing with the second unit? I'm very happy someone asked this question, and I'm actually mad at myself for not talking about it when I spoke about the Mavericks game. So when you have Jeremy Grant, Torrey Craig, and Mason Plumley on the floor, you are immediately going to have spacing issues. Having two non-shooters, well, Torrey Craig isn't a non-shooter, but defenses are flat out not guarding him out there. But when you have two guys who are not defended as shooters in Craig and Plumley, it's going to collapse the defense. Then you also add in the fact that Jeremy Grant has not been an effective shooter so far this year. Now you have three guys who are not a consistent, reliable outside shooting threat, which has completely mucked up the Nuggets' offense off the bench. My way of fixing this is very simple. You got to cut Mason Plumlee's minutes real hard. Mason Plumlee needs to play specifically when he's matched up against another big center off the bench. Otherwise, get Jeremy Grant minutes at the five. I don't understand why he hasn't done more of that yet. That drives me crazy. Get Jeremy Grant minutes at the five. Play Torrey Craig and uh, Michael Porter Jr. together with Malik Beasley and Monte Morris. Have Torrey Craig defend the more bruising of the wings and have Michael Porter Jr. defend the more nimble of them. Go out there with, you know, four and a half shooters on the court, but with Torrey Craig still kind of being that half guy. Spread the floor out, run more often, get more offensive uh, pace to the game like we were talking about before, and give Monte Morris more ability to have weapons to facilitate to. I don't know why the Nuggets haven't done more of that yet, and I expect to see more of that down the line. Because you're right, there has not been enough floor spacing on that bench unit. Thank you guys so much for listening, for leaving reviews, for, you know, reaching out to me on Twitter and telling me the podcast has been good so far. The congratulations, all the sharing on social media. It means the world to me, and I really, really, really appreciate it. Make sure to keep leaving those reviews on iTunes. They really help. Go leave a five-star review and leave me a comment about what you like or maybe don't like about the show. I'm always reading them and trying to improve it. So... Thank you guys again. It's been a lot of fun. I'll be back tomorrow night on Halloween night as it and we'll talk about the Nuggets game against the New Orleans Pelicans. See you guys later. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet, with ample parking at every location for a retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com.